God is very merciful, but he's also very just. There are people who will not repent. We read that in the book of Revelation. Even though they knew the destructions were from God, they cursed God and basically died. They did not plead with God. They cursed God. They did not repent. This was in the great tribulation that is to come. Revelation 16, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. True and righteous are thy judgments. We align ourselves with those judgments of God. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Instead of repenting, they cursed God. For approximately 30 years, I looked for a church to attend. Pastors would corrupt scripture, add to scripture, take away from scripture. I would go to them and call this to their attention. They would become very angry with me. But I never saw one of them repent. It is like they were frozen in their sin and could not repent. Psalm 7 at verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. 
My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, God will whet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Ahab was a king of Israel, one of the most evil kings of all the kings that have ever been. He became a byword, and when people speak of Ahab, you immediately associate evil with the situation. One of the prophets reported this story in 1 Kings 22. He says, Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And God said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Ahab went to the battle. All of his prophets, who were not prophets of God, told him he would win the battle. He was wounded in the battle and died in the battle, and the blood of Ahab filled the chariot. And when they got back to Samaria, they washed out the chariot of Ahab's. He had died. And the dogs licked up Ahab's blood that came out of the chariot. The reason for all of this had to do with the vineyard that was next to Ahab's house. It was a vineyard owned by Naboth. Ahab wanted that vineyard. Naboth said, I can't give you mine inheritance. And Ahab was very sad and returned home. He would eat no bread. 
Jezebel, Ahab's wife, said, Why are you so sad? Why will you not eat bread? Ahab said, Because of Naboth's vineyard, he will not let me have it. She said, Are you not the king of Israel? Are you not the king? And she said, I'll get it for you. So she wrote a letter to the men who were in charge of the city where Nabob lived. And she told them to get some false witnesses against Nabob to testify against him. And these witnesses said they heard him blaspheme God. The people took Naboth outside the walls and threw stones at him until he died. When they did this act and told Jezebel, she told Ahab, go and possess the vineyard. It's yours now. But God was also watching this. And God sent the prophet Elijah to deal with this matter. Elijah prophesied the word of the Lord over Ahab. And Elijah told Ahab that the dogs would lick up his blood at the place where this vineyard had been taken away from Naboth. In the battle at Ramoth Gilead, Ahab was killed and the blood flowed into his carriage. And after the battle, they sent the carriage to the place, the city where the vineyard had been, to have it washed in the pool. And the dogs licked up the blood of Ahab, just as the prophecy had said. God knows how to deal with the evil. God also prophesied through Elijah that the dogs would eat Jezebel's body and she would not be buried. Jehu came to the city where Jezebel was living and she painted her face and she teared her hair and she appeared at the window and spoke to Jehu not in a favorable way. Jehu called out to the men who were there and said, Which of you are my friend? Which of you are mine? And two or three eunuchs were there, and they said, We are. And Jehu said, Throw her down from the window. And her blood splattered on the wall just as God had prophesied it would do. The men went to eat, and Jehu said, Well, she is the daughter of a king. Go out and bury her. So he went outside the building, and by that time, there was nothing left of Jezebel to bury. The dogs had eaten her body, only her head and the palms 
of her hands were visible. The dogs had eaten everything else of Jezebel. Because Ahab and Jezebel were so evil, and God is just and makes just decisions. God had also sent prophecies to Jehu that he would be king and that he was to destroy all of the descendants of Ahab. Second Kings chapter 9 And the prophet Elisha called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thy hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there Jehu and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil and pour it on his head, and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door, and flee, and tarry not. So the young man, even the young prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captains of the host were sitting, and he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said, Unto which of all of us? And he said, To thee, O captain. And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on Jehu's head. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab, thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, and like the house of Basha. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel, in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he, the young prophet, opened the door and fled. This was a specific assignment from God to Jehu. In 1982, I had boarded a plane to fly from Seattle back to Dallas, where I lived at that time. And I began hearing, the time is come 
that judgment will begin at the house of God. And I didn't know what that meant. A few days later, God called my attention to sins that were being committed by four or five big-time ministers, television ministers. And I knew I had to get a message to these ministers. One of them was my own pastor, Robert Tilton, Word of Faith. Bob had started a television show and he had guest speakers come to speak at his show. One night, I got a phone call from a woman named Ava Pickard. Ava was said to be a prophet at our church. She was crying as she told me this story. Just before they went on camera, Bob said to her, Ava, just one thing. Don't tell anyone about being a prophet because it's not popular. By doing that, Bob killed a prophet by stopping her from speaking both the truth about her calling and any word that God would give her at the time of the show. I saw a word in Matthew 23 where Jesus cried out and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth those sent unto you. And he said, Because you've done this, your house will be left desolate. And immediately I knew that was a sentence on Bob Tilton, that his house would be left desolate. Bob had recently built an 8,000-seat church building in Farmer's Branch, Texas, just north of Dallas. He had made statements that he was going to be bigger than Kenneth Copeland on radio and television. And he set out to be popular. Along that same time of 1982, God gave me a dream and showed me to leave Word of Faith. It was a Wednesday night, and as I left, I told God, I believe you want me to leave this church, but if you want me to come back, I'll turn around and come back. I got in my car and drove away. There was no message of any kind from God leading me to turn around and come back. And I never went to that church again. That was 1982. In approximately 1991, ABC Primetime Live did an expose concerning Bob Tilton and Word of Faith. And they had learned 
that the prayer requests being solicited by Bob Tilton on his television show were sent to Farmer's Branch where this church building was. But they were not opened at Farmer's Branch. Everything was forwarded directly to a bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where bank tellers opened the envelopes, deposited the money that was in the envelopes, and the prayer requests were thrown into the garbage. And they found by the accounting that Robert Tilton was making at that time $80 million a year from these prayer requests. And they aired this on the news, Primetime Live, and showed hidden cameras and told what was happening. And people in his own church, one man in particular, filed a lawsuit against Tilton for extortion. Bob was using that scripture on a hundredfold return, promising a hundredfold return on offerings. That's a misuse of that scripture. A hundredfold return is promised to those people who follow Jesus and do the will of God and that they will be given a hundredfold return even now in this time. It had nothing to do with offerings. Matthew nineteen twenty nine. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. We see that same thing printed in Mark 10, verse 30. Jesus says, But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. has nothing to do with the subject of giving offerings to a church. God told me that Bob would be destroyed. I was taken out of that church before this actually happened, but by about 1990 or 1991, Bob and Marty divorced. He married a second wife who was a lawyer but also said she was an evangelist. They divorced. She sued him, according to Wikipedia. He went to Florida and tried to start another ministry there, and he married a third wife. The church building at Farmer's Branch was completely torn down. 
Nothing of it remains today. No one would even know a church had ever gathered at that location. Bob Tilton ended up selling his religious projects and buying a hotel in Culver City, California, according to Wikipedia. I've also seen this happen before to ministers who tried to get famous and tried to get big offerings. God has his instrument of destruction and death. And if they continue in an evil way, they will be destroyed, if not now, at the day of judgment. The Apostle Paul speaks of the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men says the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5. Before the return of Jesus, the Apostle Paul told us what the churches would be like, the end-time churches. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. When I read this in 1982, God said to me, the falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. And when that happens, it allows sin into the church, for they are no longer warning the church by the scriptures. They have set up other doctrines to approve the people who are doing the sins. The falling away is the end time apostasy spoken of in the NASB Bible. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, 
so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. An example. In 1975, I was sitting on my bed and God began talking to me. And he said, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those were not mistakes. Those were sins. I gasped and said, Sins? I thought they were mistakes. With that, I was born again immediately. My best friend said, Joni, you've got to go to church. Well, she was attending, she and her husband were attending a church called Believer's Chapel. The preachers were from the Dallas Theological Seminary group. So I started going to the church that she was attending. The preacher was preaching at that time about the subject of tongues. And he was preaching that tongues are of the devil. One day I was reading the Bible and in 1 Corinthians 14 at the bottom of the chapter, Paul said, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Don't forbid tongues. And Paul even gave instructions as to how tongues were to be used in the church. Paul is speaking in this section of scripture about what we are to do when we gather as the church. Verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. The church was to be set up so that the Holy Spirit could speak through whom God willed. And then Paul said, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. And let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. And if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be comforted. So in a setting like that, you would go to the church service and anyone, the one who had heard from God, would come forth with what he had heard from God, whether it would be a psalm, which is a prayer, a doctrine, 
a revelation, an interpretation. The prophets were there and were free to speak, two or three at a time, and let the other judge. It's totally different from anything we've ever seen before. What we see nowadays is you attend a church service, there's a platform, there is a railing which the preachers stand behind, and the congregation sits on the other side, and the men who are approved to speak, approved by other men to speak, they are on the platform. In churches like that, I've so often thought, if Jesus Christ were here today, he would not be permitted to speak to the church because he would not be one of the ones approved by that group. The closest I've ever seen to this type of church service was in our Bible class. And our teacher would always say at some point during the class, does anyone have a word from the Lord? Every person in that room was free to speak if they believed it was God who had shown them something. It was very much decently and in order. One at a time, those of us who had a word from the Lord simply shared what we had heard from God. And it was edifying. It was not a prepared program. It was not an entertainment, as many services are. It was simply sharing what God had told us. At the bottom of this chapter, there's another instruction given. Verse 39, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues. But at the church I was attending at that time, they were teaching that tongues are of the devil and they certainly would have forbid a tongue from coming forth from anyone in the congregation. When you run into something like that, where the Bible says one thing, but the church is doing a completely different thing, what you have come into is an end-time church where Antichrist has moved in and has taken over. Antichrist means opposite to Christ. When the doctrine of the church becomes opposite to instruction in the New Testament Holy Bible, it is Antichrist. And it is the end-time apostasy in the church. 
there's going to be very serious punishments levied against the people who are ministers in those churches, people who are elders in those churches, people who attend those churches and go along with the elimination of certain scriptures and setting up of other doctrines. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's the chapter that tells of the end-time apostasy in the churches. Start at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. The falling away is a falling away from Scripture, falling away from specific Scriptures by the churches. They just don't mention those Scriptures. Or they explain those Scriptures away, making them invalid for the church group. And one reason there's so much sin in the churches today is they have eliminated doctrines that would keep the congregation from committing these sins. Matthew 5.32 Jesus said, Whosoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. They have eliminated that scripture. Matthew 5, 32. For if they preached it, men who were considering marrying divorced women would have to consider the scripture and see what Jesus is saying and compare scriptures with scriptures and make a decision if he was to marry a divorced woman or not. Jesus says he will commit adultery if he does this. And in that same verse, Jesus says, if a man divorces his wife for any reason save fornication, he will cause his wife to commit adultery. She will go out and marry after he divorces her, and he will be the cause of her adultery, which she will commit upon that marriage. At the time of sexual intercourse, 
two people become one flesh. And God said, whom God has joined together, let not man put asunder. A divorce paper does not eliminate the fact that you are one flesh with your husband. God worked it out, so there's a little trap here. If you have sexual intercourse with a person, whether you're married to that person or not, you become one flesh. Paul warns him in 1 Corinthians 6, even if you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with that prostitute. How can you take a member of the body of Christ and make that member of the body of Christ to be one flesh with a prostitute? So there's a great deal more to the story of marriage and divorce than most people realize. But in the church, these are the scriptures for the New Testament church. And scriptures, 1 Corinthians 7, says concerning marriage, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled with her husband. And in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, we read that the woman who is married is joined to that husband for as long as they live. But and if the husband be dead, she is free to marry. But if she marries while the husband is still living, she shall be called an adulteress. And Jesus explained it this way in Mark 10. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall twain be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder. And then Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. 
I had two friends, married couple. They married before I ever met them. His wife died of cancer. Hal was looking for a new wife. And he was looking at the church he was attending. There were two women in the singles class that he was interested in dating. He selected the woman he cared most for to date her. They fell in love and were getting married. She did not tell anyone that she was a divorced woman until after the wedding plans had been made. And I met them probably 10 years after they married. And one day I asked Hal, if you had known Donna was a divorced woman, would you have dated her? Hal grew very quiet and he said to me, no, Joan, I don't think I would have. They were teaching the scriptures at that time on these subjects. I was watching an interview on television where they were talking to a Catholic Pope. And they asked him about homosexuals and lesbians. And he said, well, I don't see anything wrong about being homosexual or lesbian. And I literally screamed out loud at my television set, what about the Bible? Romans chapter 1. Start at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient.
In the Old Testament, homosexuals are called sodomites. The good kings would remove the sodomites from the people of God. The evil kings allowed the sodomites to continue with the people of God. There are so many scriptures on this subject. If you want to know more about it, I just suggest that you type in the word sodomite. It will pull up the scriptures on that subject. Genesis 19 is another key writing on the subject of homosexuals. For God sent two angels to Sodom to destroy the whole city, which was filled with homosexuals. The two angels came into Sodom, and they were just going to sleep in the street. But Abraham's nephew, Lot, convinced them to come to his house that he would put them up for the night and they would have a feast, a dinner, and then on the morning they could go on their way. The men of Sodom heard about this and from every quarter of the city of Sodom, men came out and gathered at Lot's house wanting to have sex with these two men which were at his house. They did not know they were angels of the Lord who had great power. Lot said to them, Oh, my brethren, do not so wickedly. They said, We will deal worse with you than we do with the men having come here to judge us. Well, the two men were angels of the Lord, and they caused these men who wanted to have sex, they caused them to be stricken with blindness, so they had to have someone lead them around. And then the two angels focused on Lot, telling him that God had sent them to destroy Sodom for the evil and to get out of Sodom immediately. This is Genesis 19. This shows you the thinking of God on the subject of homosexuals and lesbians. And the Apostle Paul tells us, be not conformed to the thinking of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word of God, to the Scriptures, and live in that. It is not your idea or what you think about homosexuals or lesbians or divorced people remarrying, or things like that. It's what God thinks. We as Christians just find out what God thinks, and we conform ourselves 
to what God has to say about the subject. God has many ways of delivering his people. In 2 Kings chapter 7, the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to fight against us. Wherefore they rose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their life. The next morning they went out, the children of Israel, and these people were all gone. It was all done by a rumor. There is another story of a battle where before the nation of Israel got there to fight in the battle, the enemy had turned on each other and killed each other. And there were just dead bodies everywhere. God had told them, you will not need to fight in this battle, for it is a battle of the Lord's. And he caused them to turn upon each other. God has a way of escape. A very charming story of this is reported by Pam Paget, who is a member of the body of Christ and works in the church in a gift of helps. When Pam was a college student, her eldest sister wanted her to be a part of the sorority fraternity activities. She invited her to come to a bar one night, but when Pam got there, she said it was so lewd, she just couldn't stand it, and she got up and walked back to the dormitory. Later on, she received an invitation to go to a fraternity luau. This greatly appealed to Pam. It would be outdoors. It was by a river. Pam pictured that there would be toasting marshmallows, and it would be fun. But then Pam heard about this luau. These young men were building little huts for their dates. And Pam realized this was not going to be the toasting of marshmallows. And she told her sister, I can't be a part of this. The sister said, oh, it's too late to get out of going. You've got to go because it's too late. Your date will not be able to get another date at this late hour. The day the luau was scheduled, Pam had asked God to let her get appendicitis. 
and be in the hospital. She woke up that morning and she felt her side and it felt fine. She noticed it was raining slightly. And as the day wore on, the rain got heavier. At about two o'clock in the afternoon, one of the fraternity men called Pam and he said, I'm so sorry to have to report this to you. We're going to have to cancel the luau. The heavy rains have washed away the little huts that the fraternity men had been building for their dates. Pam was so grateful to God for the deliverance. God knows how to deliver the righteous from temptations and how to reserve the unrighteous to the day of judgment to be punished. God is a merciful God, but God is a righteous God and a just God. And if someone does something that is not right in the sight of God, that person will at some point in time receive for that unrighteousness which he has done. In the end, God will make everything right. He will reward the righteous and punish the unrighteous. And the only thing we need to know is do righteousness. Do that which is right in the sight of God. Seek his righteousness. Stay with that. Conform yourself to that which the New Testament Bible tells you. For we all appear at the judgment seat of Christ to receive for that which we have done on this earth, whether it be good or bad. Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.